Hi, welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Lauren Goodall. I'm a clinical psychologist, and this is Psychology in Short. Today's topic is not listed in the DSM-5, and what that is is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. That's like the holy grail for psychiatry, psychology, etc., and the whole area of clinical diagnosis. However, this is something that I see commonly, and actually in our society, it's considered kind of an okay thing, uh, but I don't really see it as an okay thing, and I think um, usually it, it becomes more apparent when uh, a relationship falls apart, and then you can really, really, really see it uh, for what it is, for what is happening, and what is not happening. All right, so what's the topic? The topic is partner addiction, okay? And what I mean by that is people who, first of all, um, they're legitimate partners, committed partners. Um, they're married partners. So there has been a long-established um, commitment in this relationship. So there's a lot of security built into this uh, relationship. So that's the base, okay? So it's not like people who are dating and not dating and dating and not dating. That's not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about people who have been in a committed relationship and uh, both are committed. All right. So, and when you look at relationships, you're always going to end up looking at some level of attachment. It's two people's different styles of attachment. Okay, um, in a best case scenario, people have a secure attachment, and attachment is something that follows you along in life the way IQ does. Okay, um, attachment is your first experiences in bonding with other people. So your sense of a mother, your sense of a father, your sense of a friend, the sense of being able to trust. Okay. Um, and your sense of being able to be independent of the people that you love and not feel threatened. That is uh, the way I would describe secure attachment. And to keep things fairly simple, uh, there's a lot of little divisions of insecure attachment, okay? So I'm not going to go through all of them and certainly feel free to go look it up and read up if you're so inclined. But insecure attachments, uh, that's basically, you know, when you didn't have somebody you could rely on, somebody that was there for you, somebody that you could trust, okay? Or maybe it developed later in life where you had some relationships that really, there just was no emotional presence in them or reliability, you know? Um they always say in statistics, um, in order to have validity, you have to have reliability. In other words, you know, it's for something to be valid, it has to be reliable. Okay, so we want a relationship that is reliable. And so anyway, but insecure attachments tend to kind of feed off of old relationships, uh, early family origins, uh, that were more dysfunctional. 
So when we're dealing with the idea of partner addiction, people are used to, you know, we're talking about alcohol addiction, drug addiction, but yes, people can actually get addicted to their partner because in our society, relationships are everything and it's okay to be quote that attached. Um, but what ends up happening if there is an imbalance in this uh, type of relationship and how would you spot an imbalance in this type of relationship? Well, one party may be more secure than the other, okay? And the other party constantly checks in, kind of wants your feedback, and it's okay because, hey, this is your partner, this is your bestie, so to speak, or, you know, this is your marital partner, um, and you can do these things with them. But the difference is, is over time, you start to develop a codependence. Um, but what I call it is instead of codependence, because it's, it's not necessarily codependent unless uh, in the case of two people. Well, no, codependence would be two people. I'm talking about one partner in particular on this. So I call it over-dependence, okay? They run everything past you. Um, they have to know all your likes. They have to be with your people, your friends. They show up. They need to be there. Um, we hear about uh, resource guarding. If you know anything about dogs, and sometimes dogs who get kind of, <laughs> it's pretty funny, jumping from attachment to dogs, but I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Um, a dog may become aggressive when it's near its person and it wants to protect its person. And trainers call that resource guarding, right? That's my person, don't get too close, they're mine. Well, there's people that do that too. And... So the partner who has more of the insecure attachment may jump into conversations, make themselves overly present. Um, your friends are now their friends. And so there isn't that sense of autonomy. And in a lot of ways, it's okay because, hey, we're married, right? This is what married people do. Yes and no. The problem with an overattachment or a partner addiction, that means somebody is just, um, you know, they're all in, so to speak. And all in can be good, right? Until it's not so good. Where the other person starts to feel smothered. And usually, uh, you don't usually hear about this in therapy until it's like way too late. And they're coming in because they're looking at divorces and things like that. But with partner addiction, the person starts to experience jealousy even over your friends, okay? Um, family members, okay? I mean, you're like, hey, this is my family, and they just kind of want to be with you all the time. And that's not the def. Well, we're married or, you know, we've been in a committed relationship for years, there's so much weeness, there's no meanness, okay? There's no separation. And with that, then, you know, you start to get a little bit of um, obsessive thinking. 
You know, I was just thinking of you, so I decided to stop by. I know you're at work. I'll just keep it limited or blah de blah de blah That kind of stuff, okay? And if you don't honor that, they get a little, uh, shall we say, disagreeable, irritable, uncomfortable, um, kind of want more reassurance that you love them. They might push, okay, pushing intimacy like PDAs, public displays of affection. Somebody who's insecure might push, uh, 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 you know, you can't, you have to hold my hand, you have to kiss me in public um, for other people to see. It's more of a statement for others to see. I call it resource guarding like dogs, okay? But um, that's not a clinical term, <laughs> but I use it that way anyway because uh, I think it applies, okay? Um, so anyway, so there can be more of an obsessive piece to it, um, some volatility in the sense that, hey, you know, um, I came to you with this. I wanted to go over this business plan, blah de blah blah I wanted to know what you think. And then they get kind of really wounded if you don't, really like what they have presented or you know there's so much enmeshment um but the key is it's not two people enmeshed it's one and the other person might say hey you know I love my partner blah 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 and you know um that's it you know so a lot of times it just goes underground and you really don't hear about this kind of stuff until things get really, really bad. Um, there might be separation anxiety, like, you know, they have to call you 15 times if they're going somewhere or they're traveling. Um, oh, I'm worried about you, you okay? And that's just kind of an excuse to re-engage and get a little bit of emotional security. So this, like any other addiction in the world, is a problem because the person feel safe under the umbrella of a committed relationship, at least socially, say, hey, this is my partner, this is my, uh, we're married, blah de blah and people generally accept that because you're married, okay? Um, so it's kind of like bad behavior gone unchecked, but it's not so bad that it's obvious. Um, it's obvious to the other person who feels more like, oh my gosh, you know, um, can you give me a little bit of space? Um, if I go out with my friends, let me go out with my friends. That kind of thing. You don't have to show up. Um, everyone knows who you are. It's all good, right? And no, there's no problem with us. Just, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but because of the insecure attachment at its base, these people tend to try to always make sure the relationship is okay. There's that undercurrent of worry. And we call that anxious attachment. Now, probably the worst people that an anxious attachment person, an insecurely attached person um, can connect with. Now, in gender differences, this, this plays out frequently. Say you have a, a male who has an insecure attachment too. Okay, but how that may play out might be more, they call it a dismissive, or the research says, a dismissive or avoidant style, which means they just stop seeking out. They stop seeking closeness. Um, you go to an anxious, um, an anxious attachment is going to keep trying to re-engage you um, and, and just kind of want the, the reassurance 
that everything's great in your relationship. So they'll do it in a variety of ways, from affection to making you things to what have you, whatever. Um, but once their anxiety is triggered, it gets worse. Be only because they keep trying. And now if, if the male has more of a dismissive or avoidance style, that means, hey, I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna keep backing up. In fact, you know, I'm gonna go hide at work and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna become the best workaholic ever, okay? Because that's a legitimate excuse, isn't it? Um, as long as I'm working, what's to complain about? But eventually, partner addiction becomes very problematic when the imbalance, and when I say imbalance, is one person in the pair is more attached, more invested, um, has defined themselves by the relationship. By defining themselves, their sense of identity and who they are is very co-merged, okay? It's, it, the, the relationship is top priority, but their sense of identity, their interests have been put aside. It's not their family, it's your family. Um, your interests are more catered to, but that's not a great thing. So the sense of identity and the amount of investment these people feel that they have put in to a relationship, if a relationship goes south where it just starts to develop a lot of conflict, um, that's when you really see things uh, that are problematic. Um, that person who's more anxious um, could have anger, can have depression, um, more acting out, more, you know, uh, just anger outbursts, things like that. But the thing that people don't say is that, hey, I, you know, I'm really feeling stressed out, I'm feeling unloved, I don't feel like I'm good enough, that kind of thing. People rarely say that. Um, the emotions just kind of, you know, are there and they're the undercurrent. So if one party decides to say, okay, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not as invested in this relationship, this marriage, and it's time to probably move on, um, and then the other person is really terribly hurt because there was always an imbalance in the investment, in the relationship. There was always one that seemed to care more in the relationship. And I would say that's something that you generally want to avoid altogether. As much as you can tell, you wanna be with a person who seems to match you and compatibility and sense of security in a relationship. Because when it's not balanced, and if it does dissolve, um, for instance, there is uh, research in the area of divorce where people who are more insecurely attached, the anxious attachment tend, you know, they don't want the divorce. These become the people that drag out the divorces okay they're very vulnerable and of course um, that's a very real thing but they can get very bitter and if you don't want me I'm going to make you pay I'm gonna make you pay with your kids um, enough is never enough why because you decided uh, to end it you decided that 
this was no longer compatible. And, you know, uh, so anyway, that's one example of where it can really go south when there is an imbalance or I say more of an addiction to your partner that looks okay, but little by little, the person has just put everything into that investment and retains very little of who they are individually. Um, And sometimes you can see some element of it in the level of investment, the the level of overinvestment, the level of overattachment. I think it's harder in, in a venue such as grief, and I've seen many people in this venue where, you know, so they say, hey, this was a, a really good relationship, and perhaps it is. You know, I'm not saying it isn't. Uh, I'm going to go with what they're saying. They're saying, hey, it, it was a great relationship, and then he died. And these people do not grieve. I mean, their, their grief goes on exponential. Um, I'm never going to find anybody like that. Well, I think what they're talking about is I'm never going to be able to be addicted like that. Okay. We had everything. We had chemistry. We had kids. We had the same likes. We, you know, we finished each other's sentences. In that way, those can be really bad when a partner dies because the person never really established any sense of separateness because it was just too good of a relationship. Um, And so it makes grief go exponential. And they have a horrible time getting through it. And so, you know, what do you do in those situations when, okay, so the grief, obviously, a person can go into therapy and start, you know, breaking down, I, I call it the pedestal effect. Um, where you put somebody on so much of a pedestal that it just kind of fuels the addiction, whether they're deceased or they're alive. And you really don't want to put people on pedestals like that. They're unrealistic. Everybody's got their strengths. Everybody's got their weaknesses. Um, whether you're addicted to food or another person, you know, people say, hey, you know, you just got to get into another relationship. But if you're prone to getting addicted and devoting and investing and devoting and investing, you know, cautionary tale. Um, Another way this would present in my practice would be somebody wants to break up. And I, you know, (laughs) I didn't appreciate the position I was in, but I also understood it. So I, you know, I I knew what needed to happen. but it was a tough situation where it would be the person would say, hey, you know, we want to do some marital work. And it's very clear that one person is so far gone. But they're kind of I'm like, OK, this person really just kind of wants an out. And if the other person is so vulnerable, just so depressed, so anxious, some are suicidal. You know, if you leave me, I'll have nothing everything I worked for is gone, you know, everything is an extreme. In that case, you know, obviously the person needs to be in therapy and the partner sometimes, you know, I think it's good if they come in a couple times and at least then the therapist has an opportunist, therapist, psychologist has an opportunity to work with this person and help them process through some of the emotions because the other partner 
is kind of, quote, over it, end quote. And they have lost patience. They have lost interest. And some of that, I'm going to say, isn't fair. I mean, um, but some of it has been very well earned. And it's time where... Um, so if you find yourself in that type of situation, I definitely would recommend bringing your partner in and, you know, sitting down with a therapist, talking about things, but then you can start, you know, if you feel like you need to be done with this, then you start presenting that case, at least to start helping the detachment process where your partner has an opportunity to attach to the therapist in in a way in a healthy way it's more emotional processing support all those things that matter if you're going to be doing some life-changing things or it affects their life so much um you know if you see somebody escalating in the relationship and they're getting angrier and they're getting more bitter i mean that's just all flags where you really need to have somebody help them work things through yelling at them is not going to help uh, telling them this is their new reality, yes and no, okay? I mean, yes, there's a time of saying, hey, this is this is where we're positioned. But a lot of people get burnt out with that process, and that's where good therapy comes in to kind of help, um, just help the person who's struggling organize it, maybe hopefully cut out some of the bitterness uh, because, you know, there's nothing worse than a vengeful divorce where it just goes on and on and on or somebody who soaks your assets because they're, quote, so in love with you and can't let go. That's kind of twisted, you know. Um, I don't think, you know, if you do love somebody eventually and they're not on the same framework, you do have to come to terms with they're at a different phase, they're doing something different, and by all means... You need to get somebody to kind of help you through that from a professional standpoint. Because if you're having a really, really hard time with it, which, you know, these aren't easy transitions by any means. But if it's particularly hard, it's particularly brutal, then it's probably likely bouncing off of something earlier in your life um, where you were let down, where you were hurt, where you couldn't count on people. And that will make the whole process go as I say exponential and we need to kind of bring it down and we need to stabilize it and so these are some ideas in in just bringing forth an idea that I think is extremely relevant in our society you do not want to get partner addicted I don't care how long you've been married um, or how long you've been partners or how you answer each other's uh, questions or However, you know, that's your soulmate um, or that's your twin flame or however you want to frame it. Addiction is still addiction. And what that usually means is overattachment and an inability to self-regulate. You want to be able to, you can grieve a relationship, but you do not want to collapse, Okay. And, you know, that's where different supports come in, come in handy. And you do not want to be that bitter person because bitter people hang on to relationships, you know, decades after they've ended. That's not where you want to be. 
So ultimately, you want as much as you can to kind of regulate your own emotions, your own emotional attachment. And if you find yourself in a relationship where you somehow can't, you know, if it does feel totally addicting, then I'm not going to recommend that relationship. I'm going to say, you got to be able to think through things without obsessing. You know, if there's so much on your mind that you're constantly obsessing, it's not healthy. You've got to be able to switch things, switch thoughts, and not have somebody permanently stuck on your mind. So uh, with that, I'm going to close out. Thank you for joining me on this cast. I look forward to having you on another cast with me. And um, feel free, if you like the way I present items, take a look at my book, Bipolar is Not an STD, available on Amazon. Thanks again.